Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. We're thankful for Sundays, Lord, for a day of rest, for a day of worship, for a day to be reminded of the hope found only in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we've, we've praised your name through song, and now we're going to open up the truth of your word. Father, I pray you'd speak to us just very clearly through uh, this sermon this morning. Father, I pray that you would be glorified, you would be exalted. Father, I pray that we would remember above all things, Lord, that you are still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And you sit on your throne glorious and victorious over all things of this world. And so use this time, Lord, as a time of hope for us, as a time of comfort, as a time of challenge. May you receive all the glory, Father, and may we be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Take your Bibles and open to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Welcome, uh, to Rosemont this morning, and welcome if you're watching at home. We're so glad you joined us. I've just been told we've got, right now, I think 198 families streaming online watching with us. That's a lot of people with children, so we're glad you're here. We're excited you've chosen to join us, and I pray whether you're uh, sitting here live or worshiping with us at home, that God speaks to you in a very powerful and meaningful way this morning. We we are living in extraordinary times. (laughs) I've been telling my kids all week, you are living in history. A few hundred years from now, the history books, if there are still books, will write about this moment and what's happened in our country and all the things that have changed and and how quickly things have uh, been moved and, and canceled. And I just think about all the things that have taken place just in the last few days, travel restrictions, NBA season postponed, the one that hurts my heart the most, no March Madness. Can you believe that? And Georgia was poised to make a run, too, for the national championship. I can't believe. Just kidding. They were terrible this year. But it would have been fun to have watched. Colleges and universities are closed. Local schools have been shut down. Toilet paper shortages, maybe the worst of all. Right? Have you seen the online Facebook, uh, you know, a a roll for uh, exchange for a lake house or for $500? I'm, I'm not quite sure yet where the toilet paper shortages come from, but we live in extraordinary times, don't we, right? And the crazy thing is you don't quite know what's really going on. Because you, you can read all sorts of experts online, right? One, one expert says we're all going to die. The other expert says this is all made up and we're going to be fine. One expert says go about your business normally. The other expert says stay at home, be quarantined for a month. And it's very easy in, in, in crazy times like this to become fearful and to worry. Because if you kind of keep up with what's going on, it seems like infections are spreading, death rate is climbing, economy is sinking. And so we kind of have to be careful as believers. Because we want to be cautious, we want to be careful, we want to be alert, we want to make wise decisions, but we don't want to be controlled by fear. 
And so I think this morning we, we need to be reminded in the midst of all that's happening, in the midst of all things we've seen this week, and by the way, the weeks that will come, we need to be reminded kind of in the, in the theme of what we've been talking about for the last many weeks, Jesus is greater than even this. And Jesus is still in control. And so I thought, you know, I, I want to think this morning about the idea of faith in the midst of fear, and I want to turn our attention to the book of Timothy because Timothy uh, has this great little verse in the first chapter that I think kind of hits the nail on the head for us and how we need to be thinking this morning and maybe what we need to be reminded of. Timothy was written by the apostle Paul. Timothy was a, was a young uh, follower, a disciple of Paul. Paul wrote many letters and two of them he wrote to Timothy. In fact, Paul probably wrote this letter from jail. So he was struggling, going through a very difficult time. And the first part of the first chapter of 2 Timothy is Paul talking about Timothy's faith. And he talks about his family and how he's grown up. And he talks about the, the gift that the Lord has given him. And then in verse 7, he kind of hits the nail on the head for us and helps us understand exactly what this gift is and how it should be used. So we're just going to look at one verse this morning, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. You can follow along at home or you can follow along on the screen. 2 Timothy Chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God gave us, right? There's the gift. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so there's some truth this morning I want to pull from this that I hope will give us a little comfort, but I also hope it will really challenge us in our faith as we kind of figure out how we need to move forward. So here's the first truth I want you to see this morning. Number one, through the Holy Spirit, we have the power to be bold. Through the Holy Spirit, we have the power to be bold. He gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power. Now, I thought it'd be good for us this morning to kind of take this verse and, and say it a few times together. So let's pull that verse back up, if you would. And, and maybe this is one that you want to kind of read through a little bit over the next week or two. Maybe it's one you want to memorize. It's not a long passage of Scripture. But let's just say it together a couple of times and just be reminded of the truth we find in Scripture. Here we go. 2 Timothy 1.7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Let's do it again. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Through the spirit, we have the power to be bold. Now, I want to give you just a little bit of biblical truth before we move on, because I don't want there to be any confusion about what this text says and specifically what it means to you. So just a little bit of biblical truth here at the beginning. We would say that the Holy Spirit lives within every believer. Right, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And so we would say at the moment of conversion, you as a believer received the Holy Spirit. That means that the same spirit from the first century still resides within us today and lives within us and gives us the power to do incredible things. Right, you may remember the story of Jesus just before he ascended into heaven. Right, He had been arrested, crucified, died, put in the tomb. Three days later, he had risen. He's preparing to ascend into heaven. In Acts 1-8, as he speaks to his followers, Jesus says, you will receive, here's that word, 
power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. Jesus didn't say you'll receive fear or weakness or uncertainty. Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. Now the cool thing is we see this lived out throughout the book of Acts, right? I preached through the book of Acts several years ago and it was almost like I talked about concentric circles, right? It kind of started small with this small group of followers. And in fact, we could make a biblical case that when Jesus ascended to heaven, there were probably less than 200 believers, maybe worldwide, but Jesus kind of started this process and he gave them power through the spirit. And so these concentric circles, right? It started in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, then to the uttermost parts of the earth, right? There's this idea that these people are growing in their faith, they're growing in power. And so we follow through the book of Acts very specific examples of the people of the Lord doing amazing things. For example, Acts chapter 5, verse 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. Acts chapter 14, verse 8. In Lystra, there was a man crippled in his feet who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called, up, called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, Peter and John had been preaching the name of Jesus. They'd been preaching the gospel, and the, and the local religious leaders weren't happy with them. They didn't like it, and so the Bible says that they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. Now watch the question they ask. By what power or name did you do this? And the next verse, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, and he kind of preaches the gospel to them. Then down in verse 13, when they, these are the religious leaders, saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Right? We, we see Example after example after example of how the power of the Holy Spirit living in the lives of believers causes them to do extraordinary things. We need to keep that in mind, right? That ought to be important for us as we move forward. Now, some of you are thinking, Adam, these are, these are scary times. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of things I'm hearing, and we kind of all know, and we've seen it, and we've read it. And I'm sure for the next many weeks, a lot of that's going to continue. But I think we need to be reminded that at the turn of the century, uh, the turn of the first century, when, when Jesus had given the power to these people through the power of the Holy Spirit in the early church, these people were living in great fear as well. It's a different sort of fear. I get it. We're not talking about apples to apples. It's a little bit different. But the fear they were dealing with were the Romans and the authorities and certain death if they proclaimed the name of Jesus. And so what you see is a group of followers that were huddled up in an upper room, fearful, scared to death, not interested in going and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we see that through the power of the Spirit working in their lives, they went from a small group of followers in an upper room that were scared to death to a movement that has literally changed the world and is still at work today. It's incredible. That didn't happen because a couple of people got together. That happened because the power of the Spirit was working within them. And so we kind of come to this place where we understand, even in the midst of the, the struggles of life now, 
even in the midst of this virus and, and all the different decisions that have been made and, and the fear that a lot of people are feeling, we as followers of Christ have this unique power to be used for the sake of his kingdom even in the midst of difficulties. We can't do it on our, on our own. We're not going to do it in our own strength. But through the strength of the Spirit, we have the power to make a difference. Now, here's what's important about this. The same Spirit that was alive in the first century church is still the Spirit that's alive today. And the same Spirit that calls these frightened believers to come down out of that upper room and begin to preach the gospel for all the world to hear is the same Spirit that we've been given today. And so you have power did you know that? I want to say that again. You have power. Not because of yourself, but because who lives in you. You have the power through the Holy Spirit to not be afraid. Did you know that? You don't have to be scared. And I know it seems like in the world we're living in, that's all we hear about, and that's the challenge, and that seems like what the rest of the world is thinking. But you don't have to be afraid. Here's something else you have the power to do. You have the power not to spread false truth. Did you know that? I I can't tell you the number of things I've read online in the last week that are just absolutely not true, right? It's it's amazing to me how many infectious disease experts are on Facebook now. It's, it's, It's startling, actually. I had no idea so many people were trained. Right, But we read a couple of articles, we, we draw some data from the CDC, we work up a couple of graphs on Excel, and all of a sudden, we're experts. Now listen, I've read a lot about it too, and I've got my own opinion, but let's just be careful that we don't distribute things that are not true, because that spreads fear. We've got the power not to do that. You know, you've also got the power not to spend so much time on social media. Did you know that? I've said jokingly this week, if we could have quarantined social media for the last two weeks, we'd probably feel a lot better about the world. We need to be safe. I'm not saying don't be safe. There's certain things we need to be doing, guidelines. I get all that. We, of course, support all those things. But, man, sometimes we get on social media, and it seems like the world's going to crash, and it's going to crash right now. You know what else you've got the power to do? You've got the power to pray. You've got the power to pray that the Lord would be known even in this time that the Lord would be made known in this community, that the Lord would do great things. You've got the power to show joy during this time. Did you know that? You've got the power to offer comfort. You've got the power to offer hope. You've got the power to share the name of Jesus Christ when other people are too afraid to do it. Why? Because God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. We need to walk out of here and at home, you need to walk out of your home, whatever you're going to do tomorrow, if you're going to stay at home or whatever your life looks like for the next few weeks, you need to walk in the power of the Lord, not in the fear of the world. And there's a very big difference. But I want you to look at the second part of that verse. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. Here's the second truth you can see this morning. Through the Holy Spirit, we can demonstrate love in a great time of need. Through the power of the Spirit, we can demonstrate love in a great time of need. I want you to remember Jesus. 
I want you to remember his example. I want you to remember how he lived, how he healed the sick, cleansed the the lepers, cast out the demons. He loved people in the worst conditions imaginable. And then he passed that along to us. Here's what he says in John 13. A new command I give you. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Another Christians, we, we have this opportunity, this chance to love people in the midst of great fear and suffering. Now, I love history and I read history and it's fascinating to me. And I think there's an awful lot sometimes to be learned from history. And so I've been reading some this week just about how the church throughout the centuries has stepped up in very difficult times. And I found a very interesting article, and I'm happy to share it with you if you want to read it yourself. And I'm going to read just a couple of portions of this article. I thought it was interesting, based especially on this passage we're reading this morning. Here's the title of the article. Christianity has been handling epidemics for 2,000 years. Now, just bear with me for a few minutes. I'm going to read a, a portion of this article. During the plague periods in the Roman Empire, Christians made a name for themselves. Historians have suggested that the terrible Antonine plague of the second century, which might have killed off a quarter of the Roman Empire, led to the spread of Christianity. As Christians cared for the sick and offered a spiritual model whereby plagues were not the work of angry, capricious deities, but the product of a broken creation in revolt against the loving God. In another plague, the plague of Cyprian in 249 AD triggered the explosive growth of Christianity. The bishop at the time, Bishop Cyprian, told Christians not to grieve for plague victims, but to redouble efforts to care for the living. His bishop described how Christians, heedless of danger, took charge of the sick, attending to their every need. I'm going to go on. This habit of sacrificial care has reappeared throughout history in 1527 when the bubonic plague hit Wittenberg. Martin Luther refused calls to flee the city and protect himself. Rather, he stayed and ministered to the sick. The refusal to flee cost his daughter Elizabeth her life. But it produced a tract whether Christians should flee the plague. And by the way, it's a real thing. You should go read it where Luther provides a clear articulation of the Christian epidemic response. We die at our posts. Christian doctors cannot abandon their hospitals. Christian governors cannot flee their districts. Christian pastors cannot abandon their congregations. The plague does not dissolve our duties. It turns them to crosses on which we must be prepared to die. Then the article goes on to say, for Christians, it's better that we should die serving our neighbor neighbor than surrounded in a pile of masks we never got a chance to use. Other Christians through the centuries have helped Puritan ministers care for the sick in London in 1665. Charles Spurgeon, a new pastor in 1854 during the cholera outbreak of London, walked among the people and prayed with them. Another article about suffering people in Uganda, about these refugee settlements, the largest settlement in Uganda, 270,000 people. These people have fled from Sudan. Here's what this one says. The churches for the born-again Christians are places of joy among the daily 
humiliations that come with rebuilding their lives. The refugees are allowed small plots of land to erect simple homes of grass and mud, but there's no longer enough land to offer everyone a plot large enough to plant crops. The refugees depend on United Nations of maize, rations of maize, meal and beans, and many say that's not enough. Listen, the new churches in that region offer hope. We're called to love, we're called to sacrifice, we're called to do everything we can to share in the hope and joy of Jesus. Now listen, I want to be very clear about what I'm saying here. There are guidelines and things we need to be aware of, and there are medical experts, and we get all that. We need to be wise. I'm not saying ignore those things. I'm not saying that. But I am saying we we should consider the actions of our brothers and sisters of past centuries as we plot our course forward. We should be challenged by the way they loved in the most difficult of circumstances. And maybe it should inform our decision about what true love looks like even in the midst of great struggle. We need to be careful. We need to be wise. We need to take all precautions But we cannot, as a body of Christ, shrink back from our chance to share the love of Christ in such a difficult time. Like, what if this pandemic is the chance to usher in a new era of the church being the church? What if this is an opportunity for us to meet this challenge, to live for Christ in the most difficult of times of of really, really loving our neighbors. We have not been given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and finally of self-control. Truth number three. Through the Holy Spirit, we have self-control and can remain calm during these turbulent times. I looked this word up in some of my commentaries, the idea of self-control, and it really means a wise head. That's how this one commentator explained it, which provides wise guidance for the use of this power and love during these times. Right? So it's the idea we're going to keep a clear head, we're going to remain calm, not because we have the ability ourselves, but through the power of the Holy Spirit working within us, we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be scared. We can show love. We can have self-control. We can remain calm. December of 2016, our family was in Africa, and I've told this story before, and I told it when we got back. Uh, I'll, I'll never, ever, ever, as long as I live, remember this moment. I can see it right now in my mind as if I'm standing there. December of 2016, our family's in Africa. We'd been there for a few weeks, and my two young children, who at the time were 8 and 10, had been sick for several days, uh, a really high fever, uh, sweating to the point that they were just dripping with water. They would go to bed at night and wake up, and it looked like somebody poured a bucket of water on their mattress. We took them into the big city of Choma. Some of you have been there and worshiped with us in that region. Uh, the big city of Choma is not a big city of all, at all. It's a city in the middle of the bush of Africa, not much around it. We go into this little clinic, which looked like it was built in the 1940s. It probably was in the the times of the colonial British era. And we talked to these people and we had them run this test and they came back to me. And I'll never forget that doctor sitting in his little office, Dr. Zhang, sitting in his office. He was an Indian man from the country of India, trained in London, practicing in Zambia, Africa, right? Very interesting. I'll never forget him sitting there in his little desk, looking at me and saying, your two children have malaria. I'll never forget that moment, ever. 
And I had one of those dad moments, <laughs> right? I wear a pastor's hat, and I like that joke that I wear dad hat. And I try to keep them on at the same time, but sometimes one comes off and the other comes on. Pastor hat was thrown off, dad hat was coming on, right? Because I was scared in that moment. And I sat there just kind of stunned for a second because for the Western America, this is a very scary thing to hear. And he reassured me, and he said, listen, I treat 8 to 10 people a day for malaria there's medicine for this. If you take the medicine, your children will be fine, right? But even after he said that, I had these moments of doubt the day and the few days and the hours after. Lord, why are you doing this? Why did this have to, have to happen? I seriously considered just bringing everybody home. Lord, we're in the middle of the bush in Africa. Why do we have to go through this? But as I prayed about it and as I relied on the Lord more and more and trusted him, this peace began to just kind of wash over me. And he reminded me that his plans are bigger than my plans. And his ways are greater than my ways. And he loves my children more than I ever will. And he gave me 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We are living in extraordinary times. It's very easy to be afraid. It's very easy to be fearful. It's very easy to read so much around us and think the world is collapsing. But we need to be reminded as Christians more so than ever right now, we have been given this gift of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to live in fear. We can live in power and in love and in self-control. Trust Christ. He is greater. Now, our president has declared this day as a national day of prayer. I'm sure many of you have heard that. And so we're going to have a time of invitation, and I get social distancing, so you do whatever's comfortable with you. If you want to stay in your seat, that's fine. If you want to come and pray, you're welcome to do that. If you're at home, man, you can use your couch as an altar right now. You can pray in your room. The Lord hears you right where you are, right? We can have a time of invitation together. And so I'm going to ask our team to come up if they would. I'm going to just invite and really challenge our church during this time whether you want to come down front or you want to do it right from where you sit, let's just spend some real time this morning praying through this passage of Scripture about power and love and self-control. Let's pray for the people around us. Let's pray for our country. Let's pray for our leaders. Let's pray for our medical personnel, the people that are standing on the front lines of this. And let's ask the Lord just to rise up just to rise up in this time. Father, we thank you that you are still in control. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Father, our flesh wants us to be afraid, but we're reminded of the power that lives within us. The power of love and self-control, Father, not of fear, but of your glory. Father, may this be a moment where Christians just, just rise up and maybe love their neighbors in ways they haven't before, Father. May this be a renewal of the church, fathers we've seen through the centuries of actually making a difference out in the world of loving people when others won't. Father, just use us to accomplish great things for the sake of your kingdom. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You stand and sing with us this morning.